Hello, my name is Spencer Wright, and this is episode five of the Waltz Oasis podcast. On this show, I discuss animals and the people who helped create them from the world of Disney. Topics come from the world of animated and live action film, shorts, parks, documentaries, and more. Please follow the podcast on Instagram on my personal page at SpencerWright19070 and the show page at Walt Oasis, where I will post pictures of subjects discussed. And feel free to email me at waltoasis at gmail.com with any feedback, questions, or episode suggestions. Episode suggestions are always welcome. This week, I will be discussing the Wolverine. The Wolverine is a fierce and robust resident of the Northern Hemisphere. A beautiful and hardy animal, it has made appearances in four features for Disney. One of them is the True Life Adventure film White Wilderness, and also in the live-action films Nikki Wild Dog of the North, Monado the Wolverine, and Those Calloways. Wolverines have the scientific name Golo Golo, meaning glutton. They are fur-covered mammals who somewhat resemble a small bear, but are actually the largest land-dwelling members of the weasel family. Nicknames from various places in North America include Woods Devil, Quick Hatch, Nasty Catch, and Skunk Bear. They look somewhat like a small bear and have short, somewhat bowed legs with short ears and strong teeth. They are covered in thick fur, which is blackish-brown, and they have a light brown stripe extending from each side of their neck along the body to the base of the tail. The size and shade of the stripes can vary, sometimes covering most of their body and on other animals being almost imperceptible. Their fur is hydrophobic, meaning it repels water and frost. Their bodies are about 14 to 17 inches in height, 20 to 36 inches in length, and their bushy tails are about 7 to 10 inches long. In general, they weigh between 20 and 66 pounds and live to be 7 to 12 years old. Therefore, they are relatively small animals, but they have a reputation of being mean and brutal. One indigenous hunter on Alaska's Arctic coast described them by saying, they're just a vicious piece of muscle. Even the bears don't mess with them. A November 1916 National Geographic article described them as extraordinarily powerful and possesses what at times appears to be a diabolic cunning and persistence. They further said, the wolverine possesses a savage ferocity combined with a muscular power, which renders it a dreaded foe of all but the largest animals of its domain. They live primarily in boreal forests, meaning forests of the far north, and in tundra in northern Europe, Asia, and North America. They can live in Arctic, subarctic, alpine, and mountain zones, in forests, grasslands, tundra, and rocky areas. Today, they're mostly found in countries like Russia, Canada, and the United States. They once had a range which was much larger than it currently is, living as far south as Pennsylvania and Ohio. Meriwether Lewis of the Lewis and Clark Expedition wrote of seeing what was likely a wolverine in mid-June 1805. He wrote, My direction led me directly to an animal that at first I supposed was a wolf. But on nearer approach, or about 60 paces distant, I discovered that it was not. Its color was a brownish yellow. It was standing near its burrow. And when I approached it thus nearly, it crouched itself down like a cat, immediately 
looking immediately at me as if it designed to spring on me. I took aim at it and fired. When he found the tracks, he believed it resembled something like a tiger, and he described it in his journal as a tiger cat. Their paws act as snowshoes, with five toes on each paw, and they have curved, extremely sharp claws, which are somewhat retractable, so they can somewhat pull them back into the paw. Due to the curve in their claws, they can scale frozen ice and sheer rock cliffs with little difficulty. They can easily climb trees, and while they generally stay out of the water, they are excellent swimmers. When they have to, they can run distances of up to 50 miles. Tough and hardy animals, they roam over large distances looking for food, traveling 15 miles in a day and can even go up to 40 or more hours and 40 or more miles in one day. They live across large ranges, which are believed to vary in size depending on the availability of food and snow. In Alaska, male home range sizes have been documented as between 200 to 260 square miles, with females living in ranges as high as 115 square miles. Wolverines are technically omnivorous, eating plants and berries in the summer, and research suggests they mainly eat plants and berries if no other food is available. They are what are called facultative scavengers. Um, they eat mostly meat, and they will you know, go after smaller animals or other animals that are alive, but they will mostly focus on eating carrion, which is dead meat. They have skull, teeth, and associated musculature, which allow them to rip into frozen meat, and primarily they rely on their sense of smell to find carrion or animals buried in the snow. They can easily catch smaller prey, like rabbits and rodents, and will attack animals many times their size, like caribou, if they appear to be weak or injured. They will hunt anything ranging from deer, sheep, rodents, hares, small bears, and other burrowing animals, and they will scavenge, you know, looking for carrion, eating the corpses of larger mammals like elk and deer. And they'll eat everything they can, including the bones and teeth. Again, they have teeth designed to you know, rip into frozen meat, and they will not hesitate to steal kills from animals much larger than themselves. Biologist Albert Manville once observed a wolverine in Alberta, Canada, who probably weighed about 30 pounds, sneaking up on a grizzly bear, weighing about four to 500 pounds. The grizzly bear was eating a large chunk of meat he fished out of a dumpster. Manville remembered, then all at once, the wolverine ran up and bit the bear right on the butt, the grizzly whirled and swiped with a paw, but the wolverine was already racing around to one side. It grabbed the meat and ran off into the dark, unquote. While they, have been kill, while they have been documented trying to kill larger healthy mammals like moose, these instances are rarely observed. They will not attack larger predators like bears or wolves for the purpose of eating them, as these encounters can be fatal. Two wolves or one bear can easily kill a wolverine. Essentially, they're opportunistic, eating whatever they can find. They do not hibernate, and they're primarily nocturnal hunters. They have been known to dig into burrows and eat hibernating animals. They're also known for a very strong smell, resembling a skunk, but much more potent. And they will mark their territory, which they live in with several females. Some longtime residents and trappers in the wilds of Alaska have told of wolverines following their trap lines to their cabins, and spraying cabins and meat catches with their scent, you know, making the meat and the catches unusable. While this is all anecdotal, it does speak to the strength of their scent.
The wolverine is generally reclusive and antisocial, usually only getting together with others of its kind for the purpose of mating. Kits, and they are baby wolverines, are born in groups of two or three in late winter or early spring. Female wolverine will build their dens in late February, digging as deep as 15 feet below the snow in order to protect their young and keep out the cold. Tunnels can be 200 feet long and include chambers for use as a restroom, storing food, and bedding. They're often dug into ravines where snow accumulates or, you know, through snow and then down under a fallen tree or under a boulder. Dens have to be at least three feet deep in order to provide adequate protection from the cold. One Alaskan scientist observed, quote, We have pictures from reproductive dens of the mother with her kits. They spend a lot of time just playing. They'll play with each other, and then they'll go bug mom, who's taking a nap. It looks like a family scene from any species you can think of. They're cute and roly-poly. Males have been known to return to dens in order to provide the kits with food. Recent research shows, however, that the father may be quite active in helping to feed and protect their young. Research also indicates that mothers cache food in various places around the den, providing some food during winter. They will live with their mother until about age two, when they reach reproductive age. Due to their thick, attractive fur, wolverines were once the target of trappers, and their fur was often used to line parkas. Their population is now more stable, and they are protected species in many areas. In the 1800s, the wolverine nearly went extinct due to hunting, deforestation, and habitat loss. In the last few decades, they have made a comeback, and again, they are protected in many areas. Man-made climate change is a continuing threat, as their dens, where kits are born you know, and raised, are built into the snow. Therefore, thick snowfall is needed into February and late March, which may no longer be a reality in many areas, further diminishing their range. Indigenous cultures in what is now the United States and Canada, uh, many you know, believe the wolverine is a link between the spirit and physical world, and in many cultures are regarded as a master of the forest or as a trickster hero. Some indigenous cultures hold traits that are true to the wolverine as sacred, including fierceness, strength, endurance, and the ability to hold one's ground. They are notoriously difficult to study in the wild as they are reclusive and cover large areas. Even in places like Alaska, where they have a larger, more stable population, it can be difficult to find an adequate sample size to study. Also, they are relatively shy around humans, and unlike bears, they tend to avoid populated areas. Therefore, there is still a lot to learn about their behavior, um, which is why quite a bit of what I said is somewhat speculative, including how active is the father in the raising of kits. According to a 2021 article from the United States National Park Service, there are only about 300 wolverines remaining in the continental United States, primarily in the Rocky and Cascade Mountains. Newer technology like radio tracking, remote camera surveys, live trapping, and DNA sequencing are assisting research efforts. And now I'll transition to some of the films they appeared in for Disney. The first is the True Life Adventure film, White Wilderness. And again, White Wilderness is a True Life Adventure feature released on August 12, 1958. 
The Joy Life Adventure series consists of short films and full-length nature documentaries, which showed the wildlife and environment of different regions around the world. This installment featured various animals from the North American continent, focusing on Canada's subarctic and Alaska's Arctic wilderness. A dozen photographers spent three years diligently gathering footage of animals from the North American continent, with a focus on Canada's subarctic and Alaska's Arctic. Scenes display animals including wolves, muskox, walrus, beluga whale, and of course the wolverine. Nature photographer and field producer Lloyd Beebe initially worked on the True Life Adventure film The Vanishing Prairie in 1954, and he was brought back to work on The White Wilderness, really enjoying his prior work and hoping he would get a call from Disney again. And that was common, that if people worked for Disney once, they wanted a call to come back. So he was called back specifically to film Wolverines and traveled to Banff, Alberta. Banff is a popular tourist destination located in the Canadian Rockies, currently with a population of about 8,300. When Beebe arrived, he found five Wolverines stored in medical in metal containers in a warehouse under the supervision of a park ranger. The ranger told him he could never succeed in taming the animals. You know, his goal was to tame the animals for filming. However, what Beebe did was he checked out of his hotel, he got a sleeping bag and warm clothes, and he stayed with them. And he had eight-foot-long cages built, covered with a metal sheeting. Metal was used versus wood, as the wolverine could easily chew through wood. He left radios on next to the cages 24 hours a day, and he would stay near the cages feeding them meat. And as time went on, the animals understood that BB was not a threat. And so eventually he built a larger pen and slept right next to it and kept the radio running so it would be difficult for the wolverine to sleep. And then due to their being tired, the animals no longer cared about his presence. Feeling the animals would no longer bite him, one day he broke an egg in his hand and let the yolk slide down his fingers. One wolverine, named Joe, came over and licked the leg off down his arm and between his fingers and once done, backed away. So once his training was done, B.B. traveled back to Disney's Wild Animal Ranch, which was a ranch that B.B. owned, where he kept various animals who appeared in television productions and movies. Later, it was renamed the Olympic Game Farm, and it is located in Washington State. He further trained the animals using food and buzzers until he thought they were ready for film. He said, I had them do everything from picking berries to chasing foxes around the hill, unquote. He built a compound of about five acres in the Rocky Mountains with trees in order to film the wolverines climbing. Now, you may be scratching your head a little bit wondering, you know, why for a nature documentary is there so much training going on? And this was probably due to the difficulty of finding an adequate sample of wolverines in the wild. And the True Life Adventure films, while they did strive to show nature and animals at their most genuine, sometimes they did work to craft certain scenes, train animals. White Wilderness does have a particularly notorious sequence, which I will discuss in the future. So learning about these films, you know, they're beautifully crafted, um, but sometimes it can be a little off-putting to learn that there was training or other human intervention involved. Now, Jim Simon, who did work on this picture, White Wilderness, including others, remembered, quote, Once, while three of us were working on something rather uninteresting, we saw what we thought was a bear climbing a tree off in the distance, unquote.
The bear turned out to be a wolverine who had reached the nest of a young osprey at the top of the tree. And this was a scene that they were able to film. BB liked the wolverine, stating, quote, there's nothing smarter than a wolverine or a bear, unquote, and that he was able to train them because he earned the animal's trust. He admired their ability to dig and climb, lift with their shoulders, and show great strength relative to their size. He also admired their speed and endurance, once observing one chasing a fox around a hill until the fox collapsed from exhaustion. BB then returned to Canada to film polar bear, caribou, and other animals. Released on August 12, 1958, White Wilderness was a commercial and critical success. In a positive review for the Pittsburgh Press, Casper Monahan wrote, quote, For one thing, the fascinating movie has for its starring villain the incredibly vicious and dangerous wolverine. Their close-up views of this most ferocious of all land animals. While the polar bear is referred to in the narration as the king of the north, it would appear that the wolverine is the actual ruler, for all creatures give it a wide berth, unquote. And he believed that it was a movie without a dull moment, which had to be seen to be believed. And while there are plenty of viewing options today which show animals like the walrus, musk ox, whales, you know, for those seeing these true life adventure films in the 50s, this was quite an unusual and remarkable viewing experience. The next movie is a live action film, Nicky Wild Dog of the North, which released in 1961. Nicky stars a Malamute dog who is seven parts husky and one part wolf, owned by a friendly fur trapper, and the pair end up befriending a bear cub. Tied together by a six-foot rope, Nicky and the bear are separated from the fur hunter, and we see them engage in various adventures and hijinks in the wilderness. Not all is cute and cuddly when Nicky chases a rabbit, and the dog engages a wolverine who has also has their eye on the kill. After a wolf, after a rough fight, Nikki gives up, and it was all in vain as the wolverine turns its attention to a deer, which was killed by a lynx. This was filmed near the Kananaskis River in the Canadian Rockies, deep in the wilderness, and it was a natural habitat rich in animals like grizzlies, elk, deer, moose, mountain goat, sheep, beaver, and fox. Animals used in the film lived in a zoo-like compound, which included sled bears, sled dogs, wolverines, marmots, and more. Nikki Wild Dog of the North, it really does a spectacular job displaying the gorgeous wilderness in which it was filmed, as well as the ample wildlife that lives there. Now, the animal we're discussing today really has a starring role in Monado the Wolverine. And Monado the Wolverine premiered on television as part of Walt Disney's Wonderful World of Color on November 7th, 1965 based on the 1956 book, Monado, A Tale of the Quebec Wilderness, by Earl Wilson. Monado is a wolverine, and the book revolves around the lives of Monado, Native Americans, a fur trapper, and various animals, lakes, and forests. In the book, the region in Quebec, where the events take place, is described in part as, quote, For many miles around, the country is rugged and hilly. In spring and summer and fall, the swift cold streams that drain and connect the lakes leap and shout through ice-scoured canyons, a savagely beautiful land little changed since the passing of the last ice age, unquote. Of the wolverine, he says, 
In the mouth of the den crouched a beast that at first sight might have been mistaken for a half-grown bear, but its broad head was smaller than a bear's, and its rounded ears were scarcely visible in gray fur. And he describes the animal as short and um, thick, but with powerful limbs and bear-like, armed with formidable claws. And Monado means devil, which is one of the nicknames the animal has been given. Another interesting observation made in the book is regarding the animal's lack of camouflage. They don't really have camouflage for their environment um, as they're mostly night hunters. And what he says is nature withholding them from the gift of camouflage had driven them to the developing of intelligence and extraordinary strength in its stead, unquote. Which I think is just a really astute observation of you know, one of the advantages the animal has. They don't have clear camouflage, but they have plenty of strength to make up for it. Now, in the film, a young wolverine in Canada seeks revenge on a trapper who killed his mother. He sabotages traps, steals his tools and food, and eventually drives him away. The film is narrated by Sebastian Cabot, who voiced Bagheera in The Jungle Book, served as narrator for several Winnie the Pooh productions, and worked on other Disney projects as well. Probably the best aspect of this feature is that we can really see the animal up close and at some length. In particular, the size and sharpness of their claws and teeth, as well as the beauty of their fur. We see their ability to climb, uh, swim across streams, run across snow, rocks, all kinds of terrain, really with no seeming difficulty whatsoever. Part of Monado was filmed at Lloyd Beebe's Olympic Game Farm uh, that I mentioned previously. It's an 86-acre ranch where under the care of him and his wife Catherine, animals were trained and cared for for use in film and television projects. It is located in the Olympic Mountains in Washington State, and the Beebe's would strive to treat each animal with unique respect, and the property was classified as a wildlife refuge. Other residents included bear, lynx, badger, ducks, and sheep. And so while filming Monado, in some respects, Beebe could be quite isolated and worked independent of the studio, sending footage back as it was completed. Walt Disney, his brother Roy, and other studio staff would also visit filming slates and comment on the footage sent to them. But they had a great deal of trust that Beebe and others sent to work on location would complete quality work on time. Regarding Monado, the animal itself, Bibi said, What we did is spend time with the animal and build up his trust and affection. In the end, he stayed with us because he wanted to, not because he was captive. Unquote. And while filming Monado, Bibi was pulled to assist in the filming of those Calloways. Those Calloways released on January 28, 1965 and stars Brian Keith as a trapper named Cam Calloway in New England, who obsesses over the idea of establishing a sanctuary for migrating geese. Working as a fur trapper with his son Bucky, played by Brandon DeWild, they head into an ominous section of the wilderness and Cam breaks his leg. Therefore, in order to provide for his family, Bucky heads off on his own. Bucky finds something is taking bait from his traps and interfering with his ability to make any catches. In a log jam, a log jam being a scrambled pile of logs and branches and leaves, Bucky has a showdown with a wolverine, animals known to take bait and kills from trappers. Again, they're highly opportunistic in where they get their food. In an extremely tense scene, 
Bucky heads into the tight and dark log jam in order to confront the animal, and a fight ensues. Large portions of the film take place in autumn, and many scenes were beautifully shot in Vermont. However, some films did have some scenes did have to be filmed back on the studio backlot in Burbank, California. And therefore, some scenes included Brandon DeWild and other a body double. An exact replica of the scene in Vermont was rebuilt in the Burbank studio, and Beebe continued training the Wolverine for these scenes. He did things like play music, read Shakespeare, and keep a radio on, so the animal would be accustomed to human noises. They were to be at the studio for one week, Beebe and the Wolverine, and after a couple days in his cage, Beebe let the Wolverine walk around the log jam, which Walt, who was an animal lover, and others enjoyed watching. Joe, the Wolverine in this movie, never flubbed a scene, and Beebe used his strategy of buzzers to, you know, train him. So as each buzzer went off, Joe ran to the appropriate spot, and he never made a mistake being a consummate professional. And then BB put on DeWild's clothing and, quote, fought the Wolverine for the fight scene. So he grabbed Joe and rolled around with him, simulating a wrestling match. And publicity man Bob King made sure to really point out this feat of, you know, strength of training the Wolverine. Remembering that at first, if you just put your hand up to scratch your shoulder, the Wolverine would leap around with fury. But by the time BB was done with him, he could take meat out of your hand and be relatively tame. While the Wolverine or any other animal can never really be tame, there are some that are easier than others. And the Wolverine is especially ferocious, making this quite an accomplishment. When Walt Disney passed away on December 15th, 1966, BB remembered it as a great shock to him and his wife, Catherine. Walt was, you know, was very, very respectful of BB's talents. And Walt and his wife, Lillian, and Lloyd and Catherine were good friends. And they always enjoyed when Walt visited filming locations. BB said regarding Walt's passing, We knew it would hurt the studio. Without Walt, the Disney studio did go downhill for a while. When Walt was there, he didn't want his good name on something if it wasn't good. He would tell the producers to go back and work on a few things again. Without Walt, the producers could stop work on a picture before it was good, before it was as good as they could make it, unquote. Many of the animals B.B. worked with were buried at the Olympic Game Farm. B.B. saw them as many of his very best friends from over the years, and he had a little book so he knew exactly where each animal was buried. So on occasion, he would wander around their graves, remembering his friends and the great work they did for him. Among this group was Monado the Wolverine. Of the films I discussed, the only one currently on Disney Plus is Those Calloways. I will be discussing White Wilderness, Nicky Wild Dog of the North, Those Calloways, and Lloyd Beebe in the future. Sources for this episode include True Life Adventures, a history of Walt Disney's nature documentaries by Christian Moran, the Walt's People series edited by DDA Gez, Beasts of the Wild North by Erica Bai for March 2020 Smithsonian Magazine, The Survivors by Douglas H. Chadwick for August 2019's National Geographic, Wilderness Trails and a Dream by Lloyd Beebe, My, Bo- My Boss Walt Making the Disney Wildlife Shows by Jack Kofer, as well as additional books, websites, magazines, and articles. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Walt's Oasis. I will be back next week with a brand new episode. 
Again, please follow the podcast on Instagram on my personal page at SpencerWright19070 and the show page at Walt Oasis, where I will post pictures of subjects discussed. And feel free to email me at waltoasis at gmail.com with any feedback, questions, or episode suggestions. Episode suggestions are always welcome. Thank you for listening.